morning. Merry Christmas to you. That was an incredible gospel reading. I really love that story. And I'm not preaching on it. So <laughs> God put another word in my heart. You see, at Christmas time, we have what I would consider favorite Christmas time passages. We have the stories about the angelic visitations to Mary and the angelic visitation to Joseph. And we want to talk about the baby lying in the manger who's wrapped in swaddling clothes. And oh, how beautiful those stories are. And they just make us feel good around Christmas time. And we hear those stories, and we should, over and over and over again. And then, of course, there are the Old Covenant prophecies. The foretelling of the incarnation. The foretelling of the baby that will be born. As in Isaiah chapter 7 and 14, it speaks about this young girl, the Hebrew word Alma, this virgin that would be with a child and give birth to a son. And that that child would be known to us as Emmanuel, God with us. And then we look at the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, where it says, To us a son is born, and a child is given, and the government or the kingdom shall be upon his shoulders. And he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so we have these incredible prophecies about the incarnation of Jesus. And then in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, there's this foretelling of the place where he would be born in Bethlehem. And we revel in these very special and very favorite Christmas time passages. But there are other passages in the New Testament that I associate with Christmas time. But they're more theological. And they tend to get less attention. And since I'm more theological than most people, and since I usually pay less attention, I figured I'd turn to those passages to see what the Lord would like to speak to us. And so the first of those passages is going to be in John chapter 1. And this is a very famous text. This is a very important text in John. He opens up and he says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. In the Greek, you see, an arche, ein holagas, kai holagas, ein prostonsean. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now this word, with, pros, in the Greek, is a very important word. Because it doesn't just mean that this word is in the presence of God, or around God, or beside some, how, next to God. It's literally towards God. He's face to face with God. You have this eternal word, face to face with God. Presence to presence. So from before time and forever, prior to the creation of the universe, God is face to face with this eternal word. 
And the eternal word is the way in which this God can see himself. Are you with me? There's this unbelievable, all-powerful, unbridled love exchange that's being facilitated and experienced in the Holy Spirit between this eternal word and God. Of whom it is said, was with God and was God. Now that word was, ain, in the Greek New Testament, it's speaking about was forever. It's talking about eternity past. From before the foundation of the world, prior to the creation of the cosmos, this eternal word exists with God and is the way in which the God, the creator of the universe, sees himself. This incredibly glorious love exchange between the eternal word and this God. Glorious. When Jesus is praying in Gethsemane, He's praying to the Father and he says this, I glorified you on earth, John chapter 17 and verse 4, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So Jesus is speaking about the glory that he shared with the Father prior to the creation of the universe. We know that this eternal word spoken of in John 1 is, in fact, Jesus. How do we know in verse 14? It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Isn't that what we celebrate at Christmas time? It's the eternal word joining himself to human nature. You see, this eternal word, it says, was with God and was God. So this eternal word is perfectly God from the Father, and then he becomes perfectly human from the womb of the Virgin Mary. And so being perfectly God, he can perfectly represent God to humanity, and being perfectly human, he can perfectly represent humanity to God. So therefore, this eternal word who becomes incarnate in the person of Jesus is the perfect mediator between God and man. The only one that can reconcile us to the Father. Are you with me? This is the glorious story of Christmas time. That when the eternal word comes to us, comes to human nature, he sanctifies it. And he begins that restoration process. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As if those words were not explicit enough, in John 1 and 18, says this, No one has seen God at any time. But God, the one and only, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. The Greek word, exegasato. He has exegeted him. For the Bible scholars in the room today, he has, he has drawn out everything that there is to know about the Father 
it could be seen in Jesus. That's why in John chapter 14, what does he say to Philip? If you have seen me, you have seen what? The Father. In fact, I'm the incarnation of the eternal word. I am the one who was with God and who was God from before time and forever. And the face in which the Father sees himself. In Hebrews, we also read about the incredible nature of the glory of Jesus in chapter 1. And I'll begin at verse 3. And it says, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And upholds all things by the word of his power. And then in verse 4 it says, having become as much better than the angels, since he has inherited a more excellent name than they, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, and again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. So this Christ is exalted. He's elevated. He's a sovereign ruler. He was with God and was God from before time and forever. And he experienced the most beautiful, blissful, euphoric, incredible exchange with the Father from all of eternity. There cannot be a better place to be than face to face with God Almighty. Are you with me? That is the most glorious place. And yet what does he do? He humbles himself. He steps away from a throne of endless glory to unite himself to the nature of human beings. Creatures that reviled and rebelled and despised and rejected him, becoming one of us out of love, leaving glory out of love and uniting himself to us out of love to redeem us, to fill us with love so that we can be transformed by love and begin to reflect the love of the Father as we behold him face to face. Are you with me? That's what he did. We have a description of what he did in Philippians chapter 2, in what's known as the kenosis, the kenotic passage of Philippians chapter 2. Kenosis means self-emptying. That's what's going on in Philippians 2. And beginning with verse 6, it says this, that although he existed in the form of God, the form, Greek word morphe, is the essence or the nature of God himself, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the role of a servant and being found in the likeness of men. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father. And so there are several things that we have to point out about this key passage. The manifestation of humility was obedience. Regardless of the personal cost to Jesus, he was willing to obey. The book of Hebrews tells us that he was made in every way as we are yet without sin. So do you know that in becoming a man, he confined himself to the limitations and the frailties of our humanity? And that he suffered as a man. And that from the vantage point of his humanity, he did not want to suffer. Do you understand that? What was his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross? He said, oh, Father, speaking of the crucifixion, oh, that this cup would pass from me. However, he says, not my will but thine be done. He recognizes that being obedient to the Father and being pleasing in his sight is more important than the way he feels in any given moment about any single thing that he's called to do. Even the acceptance of what the Greek would call the cross death. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 it says this. During Jesus' days on earth, he offered up prayers with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. A lot of times we don't picture Jesus that way. Offering up prayers with loud cries and tears. Completely dependent upon the Father just as we are. You see, when the text says that he emptied himself, it's not saying that he stopped being God. Jesus never stops being God. Are you with me? He doesn't lay aside his divinity. He lays aside his divine prerogatives. In other words, he doesn't use the power of his divinity to make his life as a human being easier. He only uses his power to serve the humanity that he came to redeem. And so he didn't want to undergo the cross, and yet he did it in accordance with the Father's will. From the vantage point of his humanity, his flesh was crying out against it. And yet his spirit, one with the Father, says, your will be done. And you see, this Jesus is an example for all of us. Are you with me? He is our example. Because we are all called to humility before God. And humility in this passage is characterized by obedience. And when we obey, when we reveal humility through the manifestation of obedient, humble action, we could expect that what was done for Jesus will be done for us. God will exalt us. Amen? We humble ourselves so that God will raise us up. But the Bible warns, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
in James chapter 4 and verse 10, it says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. So we have this example in Jesus. And God wants to exalt us. He wants to exalt us out of sin and addiction and depression and anxiety. He wants to exalt us out of fear of financial insecurity and frustrations and for some people suicidal ideation and the like. How difficult has it been? All the different situations and circumstances that we have been forced to contend with in this very crazy season that we find ourselves in. And yet God has the answer to all of that. Humble yourself and obey and do what it is that I have set before you. And I will exalt you no matter where you find yourself. Amen? Amen. We can trust God. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. And so are we going to stand on the premises or just sit on the premises? We got to trust the Lord. Jesus saw a great example. And in becoming a human being. You know what Jesus can tell every single one of us? This is something that no other religion can claim. None. Jesus, in becoming a human being, could say this to any single one of us. I am the God who understands. Because I took on human nature. And I was ridiculed and mocked and betrayed, spit upon and bruised and beaten and scourged, hung in the heat of the day naked. I know, and I am with you. So let us all humble ourselves, following the example of Jesus, and we can watch the Lord of hosts lift us up out of every frustration for his glory and for our happiness. Amen? And amen. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with this God who became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, you don't know if your sins are forgiven, you don't know if you're going to be with God forever, I'm here to tell you that God is extending himself to you in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And if your heart is fluttering right now, well, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you in your heart of your need to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ so that he can make you new. And so I invite you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it's very simple to begin a relationship with God. It begins with a simple prayer. We ask him in. God does not coerce us, nor does he force his way into our lives. We accept the relationship that he has created us for, and then we begin the journey from that moment forward. So if anybody wants to begin a relationship with God today, I would invite you to pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross to save me from my sin. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come in. Take control of my life and make me the person that you want me to be. In your name I pray. Amen. And if you've prayed that prayer, whether you're here, I'll be out in the lobby after the service. Come speak to me. Let me know that you've prayed that prayer. And if you're on our online campus or you're watching through the, the application or the website, please let the host on that application or online campus know that you prayed that prayer. 
because we want to help you walk out your relationship with God to ensure that your relationship with Him is successful. So may God bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen.